Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Morning, church. I wonder if you've seen a very, very silly movie with a character called Mr. Bean. There's this movie with this guy called Mr. Bean and he, he um, comes along this painting. It's a very famous and, and pretty special painting and he just so happens to sneeze on the painting and he tries to wipe off the mess that he makes only to, to his horror discover that the, the pen that he's taken out of his top pocket, there's been a... a the hanky he takes out of his top pocket has been leaked on by a pen and he puts ink all over this painting, destroying the painting. And so that throughout the rest, a bit of a spoiler alert, but throughout the, the entire movie he tries to rectify this mistake and at the end he actually fixes the painting and you can barely tell that, um, that he'd made a mistake at all. So the whole, the whole premise, the whole purpose for the movie is to say that, hey, we've got such a high value on this painting. We've got such a high value that it's funny when somebody does something wrong to it because we value the painting so much. And Mr Bean essentially uses people all the way through the, mo- me, uh, the movie to cover up his mistake. You see, it's funny when we put a high value on an object than we do on a person when it's in a movie. You see, how often do we use people and value things when actually we're we're called to value people and use things? The whole purpose of this movie is to to highlight the silliness of relationships and at the end he values the relationship and even though he's been a naughty boy, Mr Bean gets the relationship bit right. But I wonder for us if we have maybe been valuing an object more than a person. Really quick check, you don't have to put your hands up, but just say you bought a brand new car and you're driving home from the dealership and you stop at the traffic lights and then you hear the sound of a brake and then someone's run into you. What's your first thought? Oh, my car or oh, I hope they're okay. Where's the value? In the object or the person? If you find yourself maybe seeing people in a different light to the way that God sees them, God's creation, God's precious person, the person that Jesus died on the cross for, if you're looking down at someone, holding something, some some hatred towards somebody, then today's message in Scripture is going to talk about how we can be unified for the right reasons. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up Scripture, we ask that you would help us to be able to see people the way that you see them. Lord, when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that as Scripture is unpacked this morning, that we would be unified for the sake of the gospel. Lord, that we would be able to see our brothers and sisters in the light of salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. So today as we we unpack scripture, Anthony so generously and graciously has given me 
Romans 13. Oh, thanks, mate. Love your work. These are the kind of verses that actually separate, caused church splits. This, these are the tough verses to, to, um, to unpack. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to teach and then I'll preach. So I want to actually unpack some scripture and do some teaching around how we read the Bible, how we read these passages in the context of God's Word, and then we'll get to the, the reason for these passages. You see, the first thing when you read God's Word, there is incredible power in the verse. Two weeks ago, I preached on Romans 12, verse 1, one verse, and we spent the whole message on one verse. Huge power in a single verse. But then once you take that verse, you've got to realize that verse is part of a bigger narrative, part of a, 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 a chapter and part of a book. And Anthony did a great job a, couple of week, uh, a few weeks ago at the start of the series talking about where Romans was addressed at, where he's heading with that series. But then we've got to realize that each book makes up a part of God's word. So there's a bigger narrative of God's passionate pursuit of his people, God's restoration story of reconciling us and bringing us back into relationship with him. And so as we read a passage, maybe if we read something that doesn't sit well, something needs to change. Maybe we've read it wrong, or maybe we're not getting the context of the passage. We good? Let's dive in, shall we? Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Whoa. Ouch. So surely, surely, if we read this, this must be at a time in history where there are incredibly godly leaders in place, right? That the leaders that are, are running the, the, the government must be these pinnacles of the church, pinnacles of faith, people of integrity and character and love for other people. Surely that's what's happening. Because when Paul says we've got to submit, you'd only submit to, to godly people, Right? This next photo is of Emperor Caesar Nero. Now, the historical uh, accounts of Nero come from three main sources, and there's a little bit of debate in the history books about the, the way that Nero is portrayed. But what we know about Nero's reign in around 50 um, AD, or in the, the more common vocabulary they call it, um, CE, which stands for common era, but I like to think of it as the, the Christ era. And, and this, this period of 50 to 60 AD is, we see that this emperor comes to, to rule, and what we do know about him is, well, for starters, he murdered his mother and two of his wives, all for political reasons, to gain power. His mum was standing in the way. So we start to see a bit of a, a picture. On top of that, we know that during Nero's reign, there was a, a really major fire that took place in Rome. And there's this debate about the cause of the fire um, and Nero's part in it. But the outcome was that Nero used the newly found land because of the fires to build some 
spaces for the community that elevated his popularity. The conspiracy says that he, caught, he was behind the fires um, to create some land. What we also know is because of these fires that he needed to blame someone for the fires. They were looking for someone to, to persecute and someone to, to blame. And so he blamed these, these Jews that were in the city and the easiest Jews to, to identify were the Christian Jews. And so the Christians were being blamed for lighting this fire. And so Christians were despised and hated for this terrible thing that had happened in Rome. And at the, one of the examples, at sort of the pinnacle of um, Nero's horrendous atrocities during this time, was that uh, the stories go that they would take Christians and burn them alive at the stake in order to become torches to light their parties. So if we were to read this verse again, Romans 13, let everyone be subject to Nero, hang on, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities, like Nero that exists, have been established by God. Has Paul lost his mind? Like, has Paul gone crazy? Like, what on earth? How could you, how, how could you read this when Nero's in power? What is going on? Once again, any time if something doesn't fit, we've got to re-examine. We've got to look at the big picture of Scripture. We've got to look at the context and see what is going on. And so I'm actually going to do a bit of a history lesson. We're going to go back to the Old Testament for a bit, to a book called Daniel. And in the very start of this book called Daniel, we see that God's people haven't been following God's plan, and God's going to do something. And so in the, the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, is, is four characters, um, sort of godly characters in the book of Daniel that we see played out. There's Daniel himself, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or a Ballarat. We're going to rename him. We just want to name after us in the Bible, not just Bendigo. Um, and these characters are the Israelites that have been taken in captive into a foreign land, but still follow God. And so we can actually look at how they sit under a foreign leadership, knowing that it, it's, this, is, this is black and white. This is the enemy that they're, they're working for, that they're sitting under, and seeing how they respond in order to get a, bit of, a bigger picture of what Romans talks about when it talks about government. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, God's people, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. This special temple, the Holy of Holies, the sacred place, has been handed by God to Nebuchadnezzar. What? What's going on? God's still sovereign. God's still in control. God uses Daniel then to go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, I need to tell you this. And they had a really good relationship. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel were actually really close. Now, even though Daniel was like essentially taken off to indoctrinate in the hope that he would be sent back to his people to teach people, his people the ways of Babylon... He put God first and wasn't being indoctrinated. He had a great relationship with the king, so much so that when the king said, I want you to disobey one of the Ten Commandments, 
He said, look, I'm, I'm your friend. I will follow you, but I won't do that. The first two commandments, bit of homework, bit of, bit of a quiz. What's the first commandment? Don't have any other gods. <laughs> I'll try to make it really easy for you. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't pray to any other gods. The second commandment is don't have any other idols. Don't worship any idol made of a material that, that I, God, created. Don't make wood or stone or steel or gold. Like, I made this stuff. Why would you make an idol and worship that? Like, I'm the God of the material. Come on. And so we see that the story of Daniel is two times when his people, when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, go against the rules of the government. The first one is the king gets tricked by his, his officials and his helpers to say, hey, you should get everyone to bow down and worship you and say prayers to you because you're the king. Stroking his ego and he goes, oh, that sounds all right. Okay. Not realising that Daniel's like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I'm going to pray to my God and my God only. Of course, the, the assistants and the, the helpers catch Daniel out knowing it's a big ploy and go to the king Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, he's been worshipping someone else. And he goes, have you? And he goes, yeah, I have. And the king's heart is saddened. Good relationship. So Daniel has to, has, the king has to follow the rules. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. You might know the story from when you, maybe when you were a kid growing up. Daniel in the lion's den. And at the end of that story, we see the king is actually there the next day going, Daniel, are you okay? Did your God save you? Good relationship. Daniel goes, yeah, my God, shut the mouths of the lions. It's all good. And the king goes, man, your God must be powerful. Let's worship him. What? So now the enemy is worshipping the God of Daniel. You see, that the, there's this moment in the story of, of um, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar where Daniel actually goes to the king and says, hey, you need to realise that you think you took over Jerusalem and all this, but you didn't. My God gave it to you. You need to humble yourself. I heard about a bit of humility at communion time today. And there's this moment where, where the king's standing on the balcony looking at his land just going, yep, look what I did. I'm pretty good, aren't I? But yet the prophecy that Daniel had given him says, hey, if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And you're going to end up eating grass. And you're going to end up growing long nails and your hair's going to go weird and it's, going to be a, it's not going to be pretty until you turn back to God. We see a picture of a fairly famous sort of painting of what ends up happening to King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4, we follow on this story in verse 33. It says, Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from his people. He's just looked out over, the, over his land and said, Look how good I am. Driven away from his people, and he ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew from heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards, towards heaven and my sanity was, was restored. And then I praised the Most High, I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. With no words and no, no, nothing other than fixing his eyes on God, his sanity was restored. And from then, this king that God handed the Israelites over to is now worshipping God. 
You see, there's God's sovereignty over the government. The cool part about Daniel is we get to see the end of the story. The second time, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego um, go against the rules of the government uh, when, when the king builds a giant idol. and says, we need to praise down and worship the idol. And they go, no, 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 second commandment, I can't do that. He goes, well, I've got a bit of a fire there. Um, things are going to heat up if you don't do it. And they're like, no, no, no. They get thrown into the fire. The king looks in, doesn't see three figures burning, but sees four, and they're not actually burning at all. And that king also goes, hey, there's something about your God. God is sovereign. We actually see, if you fast forward to the end of the Old Testament, we see the book of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, where God uses the rulers of the time. It's past, there's a few different rulers and a couple of different empires by the end of the Old Testament. And we see that God actually causes the enemy kings to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. God sovereign. So if we understand that God is sovereign from the Old Testament, we've got a story that's actually come to completion now. And while we're in the middle of Romans, we need to understand where we're at in Romans to understand what this passage fully means. And so we're going to do a little bit of a, a rewind. A few weeks ago, Anthony started this series saying, hey, Romans is all about the good news. That God loves you, God made you, God has a plan for you, and the good news is you don't need to do anything other than accept Jesus. God did the work through Jesus. It's incredible. Week two, hey, we've all messed up though, haven't we? We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the more that we understand what we've done wrong, the more that we are grateful, and the more that we are grateful for the God, the more that we realize what grace is and what grace God has shown to us through Jesus Christ. It's incredible. The following week was on salvation. And salvation means that, that if you accept God as your Lord and Savior and say sorry for your sins, you are saved once and forever. That is incredible. We swapped a couple of weeks around, but if we do it in order, then Anthony comes along and preaches this awesome message on once you are saved, you're not just saved, but you are adopted into God's family. It's not like you're just attending a movie and you've got a ticket. Like You are. You own it. You, you have heaven. You have a future. You are so a part of God's family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a powerful thing. Which leads to the message that I preached a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 12 says, because of that, we don't just stay saved in the one spot, but we want to be moved to action. We're part of God's family. We are saved with an eternity. Therefore, we want to live by faith. We want to take some steps in our life. We want to start to be transformed from the inside out as we fix our eyes on God's mercy, on God's Son. We can't be satisfied with that, so we start to be, be transformed into the image of Christ. Day by day, step by step. And I'm going to start this passage again in Romans 13 by reading the very end of Romans 12 to get the context of the book. Romans 12, because remember, people put the numbers in, right? So we put the numbers in so we could find it. But when it was first written, it was just a big chunk of, chunk of words. So we're going to read it without the numbers, but I'll use the numbers to help us find the bit that we're not going to read without the numbers. Yeah, anyway, you get with Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, this is where he's talking to us. This is your bit. This is my bit. You can't control somebody else's reaction. You can't control somebody else's thoughts, somebody else's feelings, somebody else's expectations, but you can control you. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, love. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you'll hit burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no one except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities rebels against what God has instituted, and those who do so will be judged by themselves. So, so what is this passage saying in context of Romans? What, what's Paul actually writing about? He's writing about how often we get distracted by the government when our actually call is to lead people to Jesus. How often do we get distracted by politics when we should be focusing on people? And don't put your hand up, we'll do an exercise right now to see how our focal point is and a bit of, a, bit of a, an eye correction, right? Think about it, don't put your hand up, but inside, you're putting your hand up, right? When was the last time you got passionate about politics? Yeah, that's the same thing. The nine o'clock almost laughed out loud. I was like, yeah, probably this morning. When was the last time you actually had a deep conversation or couldn't hold it in that you had to tell someone about the views of politics? Probably yesterday, yeah? Like, I'm passionate about politics. We've all got our views. There's times when we see something good or something bad and we just want to tell someone else. Okay, here's the kicker. When was the last time you were so passionate about someone that didn't know Jesus? When was the last time you were so passionate about someone who didn't know Jesus that you couldn't contain it to yourself, you had to tell somebody else? This is what Paul's writing about. We're supposed to be living in harmony, yet we're getting so focused on politics that we're not focused on God's people. In light of looking at what Christ has done on the cross, you know, politics is fleeting. It's here and gone. And like I said, I'm, passionate. I'm really passionate about it. But while I'm here, we'll never use this platform for politics because in a thousand years, it won't matter. But the gospel will. So that's why we, that's why we preach the gospel. It's all about being distracted in focal points. The whole passage in Romans chapter 13, I didn't want to glance or choose a different passage. I thought we're just going to bite into it. We're just going to go for the hard one and get it over and done with. Just rip the band-aid off. Romans, Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let's go there. Because the rest of the verse echoes this sentiment of don't be distracted. Like we need to be unified. When we're in, we're all in. And so we just naturally get distracted in life, don't we? All the time. This next photo sort of represents something that happened to me last year. And those that, um, <laughs> that I talk to um, like often and in my processing will, will actually know this story because I was processing it for quite a while. Last year I had a, um, a time where a pastor, a friend in, in Ballarat said, oh, I've got a funeral but I can't do it and it's next week and I'm actually interstate, would you be able to help me out? And me being the pushover that I am goes, yeah, sure, sure. This is the Friday. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll help out. and I'll meet with the family and we'll be able to, to you know, celebrate a life lived. And, 
and help them through this, this grieving process, yeah. So I, I now meet with the family. It's a Saturday morning. And these, are, these aren't church-going you know, family. They're not beautiful people, lovely people. God loves them. But it, it doesn't take long to realise this is really different. There's a bit of dysfunction. There's some different emotions in the room, such as anger and a bit of yelling. And I'm, not, I'm used to being with incredible people that have great faith and love God. And so usually when we're organising a funeral, it's, there's a, some jokes, there's some tears, and we're, we're honouring the person. I'm not used to a hostile sort of space. And so my whole time I'm just praying, God, just help me, help me land this. Help me honour the person. God, help me to show Christ's love in this. Help me to know what to say. This is, this is awkward and complicated. I then see one of the, the children who, who's an adult, adult by now and, and, and one of the, this person who my assumption is that they have been damaged uh, by substance abuse at some point. And their, their mannerisms and their, their words and their sentences sort of showed that there was there's something non-neurotypical in the way that they spoke. And this guy had a huge bushy beard. And while we're in this conversation, he's sort of... Playing, I'm assuming he's playing with a beard, which is, hey, look, it's, it's stressful. You're organising a funeral for your mum. Understandable. Yep, all sorts of different things happen in that space and totally fine, totally okay. Can understand that. And then I see him doing this. And I'm like, you don't do that to a beard. What on earth is he doing? And I look and this guy's brought a guinea pig. He's brought a guinea pig with him to, to this meeting where we're organising his mum's funeral. And, and, and I, again, it's stressful space and maybe brought that to help him. Maybe it's like a support thing or a comfort thing. It's all cool. But for me, I'm, I'm, I've lost it. I'm just, I, I cannot. I've lost five minutes of that meeting that I'll never get back because I'm just like... And then, I, then I'd start to come with it. I'm staring at the guinea pig. Everyone will see me staring at the guinea pig. Stop looking at the guinea pig. Cool, I'm not looking at the guinea pig. That's good. I'm happy I'm not looking. Oh, I'm looking again. Oh, Oh, stop it. So, somebody, what do you think, Tim? Yeah, yeah. There's a basket. He's got a guinea pig basket. He brought it. How did I not see the basket? How, the whole time, I'm staring at this, this guinea pig. I've, lo- I've got no recollection. I'm so distracted. At the end of the, the, the meeting with his family, I've had to go back on my notes and say, like, so what did we decide on that pit? What did we decide on? And they're like, remember, we're going to do that? I'm like, oh, yeah trying to fill in the gap from the five minutes that I lost. Like, so easily distracted. My focal point was on the guinea pig rather than the people. Where was my value? My value was on some preconcepted idea that you don't bring guinea pigs to organise your mum's funeral, but I couldn't get past it. It was a barrier to me. And all of a sudden, I've put a higher value on my expectations of a guinea pig than I have of these grieving people in front of me. And I was telling everyone, it's just like, oh... I call it the guinea pig funeral. Like it's, it's just like, oh, this is, this is, it was so different to me. It messed me up. As I, as I kept replaying it, going, how do I value people more and not get distracted, not have the wrong focal points? Romans 13, towards the end of it, in verse 12, says, The night is almost over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. See, the idea of darkness is things that, that, that really cause disunity. And when Paul's talking about the church, 
Things like politics and getting, getting so worked up that we've got to prove ourselves or win the argument can actually take away from furthering the mission of God. This idea of darkness, it can be like this disunity that happens, and it's not just politics. Sometimes it's, it's our placement of the guinea pig. Sometimes it's, a, it's these ideas of how church should operate. Sometimes it's, it's the things that the Paul actually writes, some of the topical things at the time were. Sometimes it's the food that we eat that can distract us. So we're, this time of light that the sun's about to rise, we're meant to be going and sharing the gospel, and we've got to be unified as we do this. The armour of light is like we've got to be together. We've got to be the body of Christ. What one body, many parts, living the way God wants us to live. Romans 14, the next chapter goes on to say, except those whose faith is weak, those that are baby Christians, those that are still being transformed. The story I told a couple of weeks ago about the guy that was swearing, says, saying that I'm a big Christian as well. Like being transformed, you accept them. Being on the journey, whose faith is weak without quarreling or over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat, and others says whose faith is weak only allows them to eat vegetables. In the whole context of that is some of the food, that the meat that they had then was sacrificed, uh, was, sorry, yeah, offered to other animals. Uh, other gods, sorry, sacrificed to other gods so they didn't want to eat that sort of meat. And so there's all these distractions, these, these huge upheavals within the church that are at each other about what they should eat and how they should act and what they should do. Romans 14, verse 29, 19 to 20 says, Therefore... Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But is it wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble? You shouldn't be doing stuff that's, that's causing disunity. You shouldn't be doing something that's causing someone else to stumble. You know, the world says that it's all about you. It's all about me. It's all about me. But if you focus on me, that's what you're going to get. So the kingdom of God means that we're adopted into his family and it's all about us. It's all about us. And so that sometimes means that we need to let something go inside to be able to help someone grow. Maybe not win the argument, but just encourage someone. It was just yesterday we were... Yvette and I, it's odd that we're both in the shed together, but we were. Um, Yvette and I were in the shed, and this family, so I think it was a family, I don't know if they were all married or not, turns up. And they got a little flyer, and it was pretty cool. We had some Christian worship playing in the background, and they're like, oh, hi, we're from a church. We're, you know, we've got this flyer to this event, would you like to know about Jesus? <laughs> it's like, cool, sure, why not? <laughs> And they're sharing what they're there for and what they're wanting to do. And, and I've got to say, in myself, there are things that they were saying that I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah. And we believe this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. And we reckon this. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you want. I probably believe some stuff a little bit different. But I didn't say anything to them. Because it wasn't the place. What's the point? I know where I'm going. What's the point? Why would I start a, an argument? There was, a, there was a young guy there, a, a teenager. There was a, a mum with a baby there. And, and they're, they're trying to extend the kingdom. They're a new church plant somewhere in town. They're 
running some course thing. It's like, good on you. God bless. I'm, I don't really want to knock on my neighbor's doors and talk about that sort of stuff, but they are. That's awesome. I'll love my neighbors when I see them and have chats and build relationships and do it in a different way. It's not that I don't want my neighbors to know who Jesus is. That's just not my style. But if God's called them to do that, awesome. I'm not going to try and create a debate or, or pick apart some of the minor theological points of their faith or what they're preaching or the entry point into a relationship. No, no, that's, that's, that's nah. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. And if God's going to king, further the kingdom through those guys, sweet, that's awesome. I want to finish with this. I want to ask are you all in, in light of what we've been through this series so far, knowing that, that we've all messed up, we've been shown grace, we are saved, we're adopted into God's family. We want to live by faith. I want to ask you, where's your focal point? In our conversations, do you unify or cause disunity in the conversations that we have with others? And I think a really good check for us is, is there something that you've given up for the sake of your brother and sister? Is there a time when you've wanted to say something you've thought, actually, nah, that might hurt them, that might disrail them, that might actually throw confusion into their spiritual journey? Hey, this is a baby Christian there on milk. I don't want to throw steak down their throat yet. That's not going to sit well. Have you given up something for the sake of your brother and sister? You see, when one of us are all in, we're all in. When one of us are all in for God, and we're thinking of our brother and sister, and we're going for unity, we're all in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that through Scripture we see that there are so many things gaining for our attention that can derail us from the true purpose and cause that you've put us here for. Lord, we thank you for, for politicians. We thank you for the government that is in place, knowing that you are sovereign over all. Lord, we pray that the government would be godly. We pray that the government would seek you first. But Lord, we know that ultimately you are sovereign. Lord, we pray that when it comes to our interactions with one another, that we would do so as much as each of us is allowed to with our attitudes and our actions and our thoughts and our words, be used to build each other up for the sake of the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would do a change in us so that we would spend more time thinking about those that aren't saved or those that we are called to walk alongside to, to mentor, to disciple, more than we do the, the things that... It, that make us want to validate our opinion or to build ourselves up rather than your kingdom. Lord, right now, I just ask that you would help us to maybe identify one person that we need to show some grace to for the sake of the gospel. Lord, maybe there's one opinion in us that we need to let go of. Not that we don't believe it, but we just need to stop talking about it because it has become our God. Lord, I pray that we would be all in so that you can be the all in us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would like prayer or to find our seven-based studies, 
please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.